know. You may certainly turn to the book of Mark, chapter 7, if you'd like to follow along. As we return back to, to, to our path through the book of Mark, as we move through it, um, yeah. I was, uh, I was thinking, you know, as we move through this, sometimes uh, in the Gospels, really God's word, but you know, any, all of it is that these events that we look at, even though kind of because we, we take different times, you know, it's a few weeks in between or even a month or so, but sometimes in between when, I, when we speak and we turn to the book of Mark, but the word of God flows and moves. You know, sometimes we look at these events and we, and we I don't know about you, but sometimes in my past, I used to just think of them as isolated events, like just a little this and that and there. Maybe not, but it's always important to remember the word is this whole event, the storyline weaves and moves and is all interconnected. And while that is certainly should be obvious in the Gospels, the whole word of God is interconnected. You know, it's not just, you know, sometimes we look at, well, this part happened here, you know, because there's so many uh, distances away or years uh, span it. But they all move and are all interconnected and things are happening. Uh, through it all, uh, I say I tend to think of, you know the, the story of God's word, and I think sometimes they, they, people think, well, if you story, that means that it's somehow it's it, it's less than accurate history. Well, that may be only maybe in our Western mindset, because in the big, big bulk of the world, when you go to like the East, story is actually a far more, in their mind, reliable teaching than dates and facts and things. Story is valued more, is given more credibility often than, you know, what we would think as, you know, like a, you know, a timeline of events, so to speak. So there's nothing wrong with story. And the reality of God's story. I love the, 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 the statement when you talk about history. You can break that in two parts. His story. It's really that simple. All of time. All of history really is his, Christ's story and it's amazing the people that come in and out of that story and those the Lord Jesus Christ especially during his earthly ministry stops and makes note of and we have one of those events here in this account and about your Bible mine uh, titles this little this section a Gentile shows her faith that's true. But even in that simple summary of it all, I think it lacks how profound of an instance this is. And we'll see how profound it is the way the Lord reacts to it, if you will. He doesn't take this lightly on this event at all. But it's interesting, as it begins, it says, From there he rose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Okay. Went up, and if you know, you know, you 
geography roughly of, of, of Israel and, and, and that part of the world. Okay, you have Galilee, you know, kind of you know, on the, the eastern edge of the nation and the Mediterranean on the west. Well, Tyre and Sidon is northeast, or northwest, I'm sorry, <laughs> northwest of the Sea of Galilee up on the Mediterranean. It's roughly, I guess, you know, just scaling it out on a map, I look, 50, 60 miles from the Sea of Galilee, depending on what part of the, the you know, sea, you know, shoreline you may be at. It's really not that far, at least in modern times. You know, I drive that in an hour and a half or so, depending on the topography. But, you know, they had to walk it. <laughs> so it could be a couple days' journey. And I told that part of it. I just told, off they went to Tyre and Sidon. And just see what it says there. He went off to Tyre and Sidon, and it continues. He said, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. So it sounds like he had a reason to go up there. He went there for a reason. Now again, part of you know some of the history, if you know the region of Tyre and Sidon, there could be a little bit of a scandal here. Or kind of a little like, where's he going? Why'd he go there? I mean, part was this just a getaway Need time to relax, perhaps. He said he didn't want anyone to know that he was there, as it's recorded. I say it's partly scandal because, in a way, it'd almost be like hearing someone went on a pastor's retreat to Las Vegas. Your first thought might be, like, that's odd. <laughs> Seems like a strange locale for that. We'll see, perhaps not. Perhaps not. But again, first thought may be like, well, you know, why is he going up there? That is beyond the bounds of pretty much the, the Jewish nation at this time. And even in history, the region of Tyre and Sidon um, was a region known for buying Hebrew slaves from their enemies and selling them around the Mediterranean. This is around the time of the divided kingdom, uh, King Josiah's time. He actually kind of stepped up and began to put an end to these types of practices. But still, a people group, not a good reputation. And if that wasn't enough, uh, you probably heard of the, the woman Jezebel. Yeah, that Jezebel. <laughs> when he was married to Ahab. Anyways, she was known to be the daughter of the king of Sidon a region that, that followed after the worship of Baal, uh, the types of sacrifices that they potentially uh, engaged in uh, by historical accounts that there could be human sacrifices with that worship. And many other unpleasant, uh, uh, to put it mildly, <laughs> aspects. But anyway, so this was that region, and it's still populated by people that kind of held on to some of these beliefs. So at first glance, again, odd, Tyre and Sidon, really. But he had a reason. And to add weight to the idea of of the the godlessness of that region, um, Jesus himself in Matthew 11, 21 to 24, 
you don't have to turn there, kind of gave, uh, well, that, they, that still was a region of godlessness and, and unrighteousness. And he, was a, he said, Woe to you, Chorazan. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, will be more tolerable than for Tyre and Sidon in the days of judgment than for you. I didn't draw an occasion. It's like, okay, these guys were bad, but if they would have seen and heard what you got to see, they would have repented. It's going to be easier on them in the day of judgment than for you. But still, kind of calling attention to that region as a, not necessarily a good place to be. But still, perhaps that region or perhaps Las Vegas would not be so wrong to have a retreat or conference at if your reason for going was to reach the unsaved or the lost. So Jesus goes with a purpose, to be sure. And while it says he wanted to go there and he did not want anyone to know that he was there, he said he could not be hidden. I got a feeling if the Lord didn't want anyone to know he was there, he didn't want to be bothered, he would not have been bothered. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm taking, making too much of assumptions there. I don't think anything is impossible for God. Now he went there for a reason all right. He could not remain hidden. He went there with a purpose. And what do we see there? We see a woman who comes to him. A mother. A desperate mother finds out that Jesus is there and goes to him. Please tell him verse 23. Or I'm sorry, 25. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him. She came and fell at his feet. She fell at his feet. And we'll look at that more. But again, the picture, just the, 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 the desperation. I mean, she doesn't just come kind of say like, hey, um, you know, do you have a moment to talk? Could you, you know, could I have a word with you? Now she falls down at his feet. And she cried out to him, keep your finger here. Let's look to Matthew. Matthew's account of this uh, event. And even draws out uh, to a greater extent the, the desperation, the, the, the desire of this woman. It's hard. Matthew chapter 15. And it says, uh, kind of repeats part of what is recorded in Mark. It says, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely depressed. And she cried out to him. Cried out, pouring her heart out to him. Have mercy on me. I can imagine any parent, mother, 
your child afflicted. It's hard to understand here. You know, it's hard to do about a demon possession. But let us imagine you know, a child goes further and gets caught up with the wrong crowd. Perhaps a gang. Perhaps a cult. And you know one counselor out there who's been able to pull individuals out of that kind of bondage and get them on the path of righteousness again, safe. Would you go to him? You bet you would. I remember when my my brother uh, Matthew got saved. I wasn't saved at this time. (laughs) Seems strange to me. (laughs) My brother's story coming to the Lord is his story, so to speak. But as many who have started at one point and then gone off, and his particular started to move when he went off into college. (laughs) (laughs) It was a far journey and went in the wrong direction. So when he went to the other extreme, so to speak, it's like, what happened? And I couldn't help but making a quip to my father about it, saying something like, well, it sounds like Matthews might have really drank the Kool-Aid. He said, oh, no, if I had, my father told me point blank, if I had any inkling that he'd been caught up in a cult, you and I would be driving out there. My brother was in New Hampshire at the time, and we'd be getting him. (laughs) I think that is the same case of any parent (laughs) who had the inkling that their child had been caught up. In our culture, that's about the closest we can maybe come to understanding what having your child possessed by an unclean spirit would be like. And the clutches something foul and destructive and feeling powerless to do anything about it. But here, who just came to town as the one who has more than enough power. Now it's interesting here, it says she heard about him. In both accounts, she heard about him. I don't know what that means exactly. She just, here was the tales again, the the, the fame of Jesus of Nathers spreading throughout the region, the world, really, in that area. Was it that? Certainly possible. I don't think the word was so confined about who Jesus was and what he was doing that it hadn't gone to these regions. But you can keep your finger in Matthew. We'll go back to Mark. In chapter 3, a while ago since we've been there, but Jesus uh, moving into his, his preaching ministry around Galilee and large groups of people, multitudes of people coming to him to hear him preach. Mark chapter 3, verse 8. It says, and Jerusalem, Jerusalem and Edomia, and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. So you mean those? 
from that region. We don't know how many, but all told, a great multitude of people coming down, flocking to hear and see this preacher, this teacher, this Jewish rabbi who's doing things and speaking things no one had ever done or spoke before. I don't know. Was she one of that crowd? It's possible. Or did she have family members and friends who had gone down and seen and heard and come back and told her? All is possible. But what we see is she heard and she believed. And interesting, too, that they, whether she had seen or they had seen, they had seen him cast out demons. She'd done this. And here, he is just, I don't know, blocks away, a few miles away. She goes to him. Heartbreaking, desperate, crying out, falling at his feet. It's quite a scene, really. What do we see? This Gentile woman, a Jewish, coming to this Jewish rabbi while he's on his vacation, so to speak, asking him to heal her daughter. Literally coming with hat in hand and seeking the Lord with a specific request. A very specific request to heal her daughter. And Jesus Loving, compassionate man that he is, Almighty God, tells her, No. What? Wait a minute. This can't be true. This can't be right. This isn't the Jesus that I've heard of. Well, there's a reason for this. But he does, he denies. A desperate mother, her plea. It's interesting, she's persistent. (laughs) She doesn't give up. And what mother would, really? It's interesting, back in in, in our chapter 7 of Mark, uh, in verse 26, it says, the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast out the demon. Kept asking him. Kept repeatedly. How much? Keep your finger here. Let's turn back to Matthew. Sorry for the ping-ponging. But again, we see the, the greater uh, illumination or, uh, uh, when we move back and forth a little bit in the accounts in Matthew. Again, chapter 15. It's interesting. As again, she said, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter, severely demon-possessed. But he answered her, Not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Interesting way, she kept asking him, but apparently when he didn't respond, well, maybe I'll try these guys. Maybe I can get the ear of his buddies, his friends. And they'll speak on my behalf. Interesting, too, <laughs> their response. 
And she's, she's, this woman's bugging us. It's bothering us. Seems to be their attitude. Again, they said, send her away. A part of it here, it could just be tell her to go. Command her to leave. It certainly could be. But I think part here, they were speaking on her behalf. We see that in his response to them, which we'll see in a moment. They were telling us, just do what she says. You've cast out demons of many people. Why not her? And be done with it. But we see here in Matthew's account, the Lord's response. Verse 24, but he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Boom, done. There's a guy at work, I quote off because I find it funny, when something comes up, an issue, a problem, he likes to go, not my problem. Meaning usually it's the foreman or superintendent's problem. They say, what are we going to do about this? I don't know, but not my problem. (laughs) If one wasn't careful, one could almost attribute that's the Lord's attitude here. Not my problem. I wasn't sent for that. I was sent to the Jews. I think we know better. But again, if you're there, if you're seeing it firsthand, you, you, you might be scratching your head, wondering, how can this be taking place? What's going on? How can you be so indifferent, uncaring? Well, he's not. He's not. You know, we see there, though, she will not give up. She keeps asking him, talking to his friend. Keeps after it. After him. Again, Lord, please help me. And we see that again in verse 25 of Matthew. She came and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. Help me. <laughs> again, the dramatic, I don't think she, you know, quietly, you know, could you please help me? One, if you know the culture, they don't do things quietly when they're distraught. And that's, just not how it's done. It's out. It's bold. It's for the whole world to see. Help me. <clears throat> and again, we might think, well, why? Why isn't he? When we see in this passage, both in Mark and Matthew, she's being reverent. She calls him Lord. She calls him the son of David. She fell at his feet. She worshipped him. If you were going to check off boxes of like, oh yeah, someone who gets it. Someone who should receive a blessing. Boom, 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 boom. Ah, all right, you qualify. Here you go. This even indicates she has some knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is as she moves through these things. Calling him Lord, son of David. And worshiping him. 
Again, where did some of this understanding? Was it just the, the, the shared knowledge of people coming through the area who had seen and heard him? Again, very possible. But we also know in other places like Acts 13, where, where we see Jews hanging around the synagogues. Paul experienced that. In that time in Paul's day, there were, Jew, there, there, there were Gentiles who came to him afterwards saying, we would like to hear more of this. I think that was fairly common. Part curiosity. <laughs> they didn't have internet and Google and all that stuff back then. So. But also, again, there was probably, even before the cross, there was probably no truth like that that came from the scriptures that were given to the Jews. You are not going to find that in any other belief system in the Mediterranean. You are not going to find anything like that in any belief system around the world. And to be able to come and even hear, even if they had to sit outside the synagogue to hear it, they came. We even know at the temple at Jerusalem, there was the Gentile court for them. So at some point, whether she had first-hand hearing of this information or through second-hand, she heard. And she put it together. And it sounds like she believed. And what do we see? Even though she may not have been at the preaching of the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount, it's often believed that Jesus probably preached that or, or some semblance of that message many times. In many ways, she was living out one of the truths that the Lord preached there. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and it will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. She was seeking. She was asking, <laughs> practically knocking, <laughs> begging. It's interesting, the Lord denied, he denied her three times. I don't know why that stands out to me. Maybe because Paul asked three times and got denied. But we see here, first he ignores her. Second, when the disciples come on her behalf, he says, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And third, he tells her directly in both accounts. I read from Mark's verse 27 of chapter 7. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Strong words. And really, what parent, if you had only a finite amount of food and your choice was to feed your children or the dog? Kind of an easy choice, ain't it? <laughs> and that's tough because it basically, you know, we've said it before, Gentiles were dogs. 
boy, that paints the rest of the world pretty ugly. (laughs) But the Lord doesn't mince words. He tells us, no. The children, my people, the Jews, need to be filled first. They are the priority. But he denied her request for a reason. You know, first was God's order of things, the Jewish nation first. Second, it wasn't the right moment. Again, the drama of this. There's there's an audience here. His disciples, and we can only imagine that we know in other places that not only were the disciples with him, but often a group of women followed around with them, meeting to the needs, the cooking and things. There are probably other people. If she found out where he was, I bet you there's others. But either way, there's a group of people there to see this. And she'd been saying all the right things, so to speak. Acknowledging who Jesus Christ was. Lord, Messiah, God. And again, that that idea of worshiping, if anyone ever says, well, Jesus never declared, declared to be God, one of the main things that you can point to, he accepted worship. All the other apostles, there were many times in the book of Acts where people would fall down to begin to worship them because of the the miraculous things that they were doing, and they put a stop to it immediately. Jesus never denied worship, no matter who it came from, because it was right, it was appropriate, and he deserved it. And he welcomed it. So doing so, he definitely declared himself to be God. She was, but this statement that comes next. Again, she's about to make a very special statement of faith. And you could almost feel, in my mind, I can see the Lord almost waiting, like, okay, wait for it. It's coming. Pause for dramatic effect. And she says, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table Eat from the children's crumbs. Booyah! <laughs> and I maybe you may think I'm overemphasizing for dramatic effect of, of, of what takes place, but what does the Lord say? <laughs> and we're going to look at both Mark and Matthew here, but first, Mark. For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. For this saying, all these other things didn't get her her request filled. That? Again, at first glance, you'd think, that? Those other things, acknowledging him as Lord, as Messiah, as God? This? Yeah, 
Again, hold your finger. What does he say? What is recorded in Matthew? If if you think he, he this isn't a big thing, the Lord says in verse twenty-eight, "O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire." It's kind of that moment. There it is. There's what I knew what was coming. Because again, it's not like the Lord was waiting, like, I hope she says it. I hope it's coming. Come on, you're so close. I think that's exactly why he went there. I can almost imagine the, the, the conversation of the Godhead in his mind. I don't know. Again, I don't want to stumble into an area of exactly how the Godhead functions. But I have a feeling that that the Lord was in constant communication, yielding again to the Spirit, complete obedience to the Father. I almost can hear the Spirit telling the Son, not yet. Wait. There it is. There it is. There's the statement of faith. We were waiting for. Because while she demonstrates a comprehensive understanding of the scriptures, she also acknowledges a comprehensive understanding of Israel's position and preeminence. Something many today do not. (laughs) Both Jewish and Gentiles often fail to understand that. But she also demonstrates a depth of faith here. It's not merely intellectual. It is a faith that the blessing that would fall from the Jewish table would be more than sufficient to satisfy the dogs (laughs) and the Gentile nations. It's not an idea that there's going to be somehow some pittance of leftovers. No. That that which comes off the Jewish table that came from God is more than sufficient. In essence, understanding what Paul would come to understand years later, that God's grace is sufficient. Hope I'm not being too political, but it appears trickle down economics is biblical. But what we see here again is an understanding of what the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 49, verse 6. Indeed, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. God's plan encompassed the whole world. It always did. (laughs) And it always has and it always will. I love that. Oh, woman, great is your faith. He almost is like turning to his disciples. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Oh, the faith of this woman. 
And Jesus rewards her. First, by recognizing and acknowledging her faith. And remember, faith is a big deal to God. And second, by fulfilling her request. Be it to you as you desire. Now, again, it's not told, and I don't want to take too many liberties, but I wonder if he even just grabbed her hands at that moment. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it to you as you desire. And in that very hour, we are told, the demon left her, her daughter. And in Mark's account, it says, when she went home, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on her bed. Everything she had hoped for had come to pass and had been fulfilled. Jesus didn't go to Tyre and Sidon to relax or to see the sights. He went because he had an appointment with a woman who had great faith. And God will journey to the ends of the earth and beyond when it comes to faith. Reminds me of what James says in chapter 4, verse 8, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I see that as a beautiful picture right here. Why did this woman draw near to God? And he came near to her. All because of the faith that she demonstrated and acknowledged. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you thankful and blessed by your word. Thankful and blessed by the reality that you simply come and ask us to have faith in you. You demonstrate it, you prove it time and again. May we simply have the faith of children to trust you, to do what you say and promise to do. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.